Hey there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Why would two very intelligent women running a hugely successful podcast at one of the most respected studios in the audio world quit to start a small journalism company built on blockchain, a technology very few people have ever heard of? To quote someone on Twitter yesterday, paraphrasing Bill Clinton sounding pretty harsh, actually, it's the business model, stupid. As we keep learning the hard way, as long as we get our journalism from Facebook and 24-hour cable news, we're suckers for infotainment, propaganda, and actual fake news, not the real news Trump is always calling fake, but the real fake news trolls cook up to polarize American culture. And in these raging digital waters, nonprofits and public media struggle just to stay afloat. There's got to be a better way, right? Manoush Samarodi and Jen Poyant thought so. Partners on the podcast Note to Self, they left to start Stable Genius Productions. It's part of Civil, a new blockchain journalism platform. For reasons we'll try to explain, blockchain has the potential to bring us better, more independent media, better, more independent everything, maybe. That's what Jen and Manoush were betting on anyway. They document the twists and turns since that fateful decision with refreshing vulnerability on their podcast Zigzag. Its second season starts October 11th. I'm so happy to be here once again with Manoush Samarodi. Welcome to Think Again. Jason, thanks for having me back. This is exciting, but very uh, different. In a totally different way. Yeah, last time last time we were talking about your book, which was essentially about your experiment, about having a more healthy relationship with media. The, the theme of tech and making sure that it is a tool in our life and not our taskmaster remains the same. But a lot has changed since I was on book tour last fall and I came to see you. And the book, Bored and Brilliant, was kind of about an experiment I did with listeners to see if we could get more boredom in our life and rethink our digital habits and how design and business models are constantly uh, want to spend time with our eyeballs. And hence, we feel completely overwhelmed. A lot has happened in the year yeah. since I came to talk about that book. You left WMYC. There was an element of the shakeup that was happening there on account of the Me Too movement and what happened with John Hawking. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, as we chronicle really straight away in the first episode of ZigZag, we quit our jobs and decided to start our own little media company. And it really was, I don't think it could have been one of these things. It was the perfect storm that it right. all came together. So, of course, November 2017, Me Too movement particularly rocks the media world. And then we have Cambridge Analytica, that whole uh, understanding of just how much of our privacy Facebook was willing to give away. I had been covering that story for nearly a year. And When uh, did that break exactly? I'm that to... came in... Um, really went big early, well, it was the end of 2017, early mm, 2018. Right. And then sort of the aftermath of the election as well. I just felt like all of those things all together, you know, I, I should be clear, like there was not a specific Me Too moment that I was a part of. What it was really for me was a looking at the, the way that the power was structured and thinking like, I want to own my own stuff. I want to own my intellectual property. Right. And I also want to, we got to fix this. So I want to start a company that really is specifically looking at ways that we can find solutions to all of these big problems. So the company is called Stable Genius Productions. Right. And our mission is to help people navigate personal and global change because I do believe 
uh, that these days what is personal is also very much societal and global mm. and the other way around that we have to look at global issues and not think, oh, what well, sucks for other people. No. How do you connect it to your own personal life? And then the company's first project ended up being a real surprise. We ended up we had funding mm-hmm. lined up from another uh, group that fell through. Which had that that first group had nothing to do with blockchain. blockchain. Nothing. Right. No. Um, it was just... a it was a nonprofit. We were gonna get a, a big grant and right. that didn't happen. But then we met these mysterious people, former journalists and some technologists who had come up with a crazy idea called Civil. Right. And their whole experiment was to try and create a new ecosystem for journalism. Like I like to think of it as like Facebook, but just for news and without all the micro-targeted ads and creepy data collection. It's really interesting, by the way, because I was like, just yesterday I was talking to the historian Jill Lepore and we're talking about the American experiment and this question of sort of, you know, people coming together. There's this quote from Alexander Hamilton that's like, the question is whether... I'm going to paraphrase it, but like the question is whether people can come together to design a government that runs by reason and for our benefit as opposed to uh, governing our lives by accident and force. You know, and the verdict, the jury is still out on that in America. And you guys are trying to do something similar in, in this new space, like trying to say, is there a way in these conversations with civil, the the question is about, is there a way to design something that is going to keep out all of these these problems that we're dealing with and and restore right. And I think journalism. the key thing is like it's an experiment, right? And so what we sort of figured was we don't know if this is going to work. We don't have the tech chops to be able to be like, yeah, man, that you know Ethereum blockchain is a winner. You know, like right. we didn't know, right. but. As a journalist, I really think we're at this moment where every journalist, can't, you can't show up and get your day's assignment and turn in the report anymore. You have to be an entrepreneur because the money is just not there anymore to pay for good journalism. So in my mind, when I saw what Civil was going to do and they they said, we'll give you a grant because we like the work that you want to do. And I was like, yeah, but you are actually the story that I want to cover. Right. So let's make this super meta. Let's do a podcast that is about our personal two women, two moms quitting their stable jobs to join this crazy weirdo blockchain experiment that wants to save journalism and seeing if that works. And And that again is zigzag. Zigzag is the name of the podcast. I should add uh, that we also joined another collective because why have one collective when you can have two? Um, Radiotopia. So Roman Mars, 99% Invisible, really was a huge supporter of ours and they also made it possible for us to, we pretty much turned around a new podcast in two and a half months. Wow. It was fast. And so, and Radiotopia just, I mean, not to, not to audio nerd out on this too much, but were they actively, (laughs) like how actively were they, you know, do they, are they producing, were they giving you, what are they doing? They're a a platform, they're giving you advice. Why we wanted to be with them is they really, Radiotopia thinks of itself as a curated collection of podcasts and you own your work. Right. And they will give you support in the form of dealing with the technical side, making sure, you know, that the audio goes where it needs to go. They also sell ads. Ad sales, okay. So, but, you know, they ask us, are you okay with this advertiser? You know, um, they take care of that. And then of course we get the lift of 
of being part of wonderful shows like Criminal and The Illusionist and 99% Invisible, the idea being like, you know that zigzag, immediately we had a mark of quality simply by being part of that group. Right, right, right. Which was, you know, that's no joke. Yeah, and as far as being able to choose your own ads, uh, I was once offered an ad by our ad provider for uh, something called 24-hour beach body. Nice. Which I have heard nothing of that sort on your podcast. So, well, you know, not. I that. would love to have a twenty uh, <laughs> a, a beach body in twenty four hours, but um, but I I will say that on my. Pre- I'm just saying it might be it might cause some friction against your mission of empowering yes, women. Correct. I don't know. Like, Indeed. <laughs> um, and I will say, you know, that happened a couple times on my previous show, Note to Self, huh. where you know I I would hear an ad that I was like, whoa, that company or those people right. don't align with what we are talking about at all. And it to one point that some listeners are like, I'm sorry, I can't listen to your show anymore because of it. So that's a thing. Yeah, that's a that's thing, a thing for all of us in are, radio and podcasting, especially podcasting. Yeah, listeners are like, listen, if I'm going to spend this like intimate time with you, don't mess with me. So yeah, I respect that. Yeah. I mean, we should say transparently, I mean, while we're on ads that the added value for advertisers in podcasting is that the hosts are typically reading the ads and the hosts are right. trusted by the listeners. And so if you are advertise, if you are saying the words that are coming out of your mouth, even if they're written by the advertiser may well be taken as your words by the listeners. Correct. You know? And I'm a little bit obsessed with this whole, like is advertising going to continue to be able to prop up journalism? Because not to go dark on you, Jason, but when the next no, financial cross—okay, cro- <laughs> here I go. When the next <laughs> financial crisis comes, which many people think could be soon, what's the first you know line in the budget that goes? It's marketing, right? right. And already we have seen Facebook and Google gobble up majority of the advertising dollars that was going to journalism. Podcasts have this own little weird niche. Right. But what if those all go? Well, I mean, you know, and what happened in web journalism and New York Times and whatever, the CPMs, whatever, the the amount of money that you could get per click or, you know, per eyeball (laughs) um, went drastically down as sites proliferated and podcasting is going through a kind of a boom right now. So the more pod, the more successful podcasts, the less money I would imagine advertisers are going to pay. Well, they for. say that actually the, the money is poor. Is they're supposed to triple the I, amount of sponsorship coming in, but that's, but you then know, maybe it'll like go spike and yeah. then go down it's as so early. whatever, but yeah. But I think my point being that like for us, I think starting a business, you know, it's not like we make these widgets, people pay us for them. Right. Uh, not possible in this media landscape. It's a real weirdo combination of sponsorship. Yes. But also Radiotopia does a membership drive like kind of old school public radio, but also we have a grant from civil, but also we are in talks about with other groups who are mission aligned with us about supporting us uh, various other ways. Uh, We also get people write us checks directly, which is so nice of them. So it's really about like cobbling it together. At the moment, it's so in, in a sense, yeah, at the moment, it's about like by any means necessary, so long as those means don't compromise precisely the basic mission. Precisely. But I could imagine, you know, that as this blockchain and let's talk about this a little bit. <laughs> let's do it. Um, but as the as more and more kind of blockchain media platforms, properties, whatever, start to emerge, there will be. Oh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that okay. too. But if they do, I was thinking that there will be many different constitutions, many different opinions about kind of what constitutes 
purity and how do we get funded and what should the listeners need to listen to ads if they're part of this sure. particular yes. collective and I think, you know, whatever. subscription like, model is one way that we're definitely going to see that going in 2019, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, well then let's follow yeah, up on what you so just said. I feel <laughs> like I should tell you like what yeah, civil is, yeah, right? Yeah, that so sounds good. So civil, uh, Matthew Isles is the founder and he has a group of co-founders um, and they got a grant from uh, Consensus. Okay. Crypto nerds, there may be like three of you out there. You know that Consensus um, is run by Joe Lubin. Joe Lubin is like a crypto god. He's one of the founders of Ethereum, which is one of the blockchains that runs. There's Bitcoin that runs on a, the Bitcoin blockchain, and there's Ether that runs on the Ethereum blockchain. Right. Ugh, if I just please don't turn off. I promise it'll get more interesting after my nerding out on like this is all new to me. So I I'm, no, I mean it took you know I, I, thirteen episodes to explain this, and we're trying to compress this into <laughs> exactly, five seconds. Right. I, I we still make it don't really understand it, and it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's complicated. It's yeah. extremely complicated. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the idea is with um. You can you can run a cryptocurrency on a blockchain, which is pretty much about speculation or creating alternative economies. But then there's also an idea that you can use blockchain um, as a utility, that right. it can be used uh, for tracking, you know, a, a can of tuna that is coming from one country to another. How do you know that it really is the the organic tuna? Well, this is a way that you could track it global global supply chains, right? And a blockchain is essentially like an encrypted digital like chain of information being computers passed along. actually so it's computers yeah okay. so it's like the idea is that it's a like a a necklace of computers right spanning the globe and they're all connected in some way but n there's no central force and right each computer is a pearl on this exactly okay. right. Okay. right and each of the for for something to change for the information to change that all of these computers are holding everyone has to change it, right? So I couldn't go in there and be like, actually, you know what? My tuna is worth $1,000 a pound, Got not right. $100 a pound, and no one will notice. No, everyone would notice. So there's some weird like back it, verification exactly protocol right. or whatever. There, that is like so there's proof of, uh, you have to run math problems essentially. Okay. And that's how the people who are essentially volunteers or miners, uh, those are the people running the, all these computers, they get paid by providing the um, encryption of all the information. Okay, so you can pass along digital currencies, you know, on on blockchains, and that makes it more secure. So that no, you know, uh, it it also makes it more independent. So that there's no there's no like bank or bank government or anything. Every, exactly. Sorry, sorry, Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Essentially, it's a it's a free economy run by the people, you know, themselves in a sense. Correct. And no one at its most idealistic right, form. Right, and and no one can easily. <laughs> hack in, presumably nobody can hack in and, and mess with it. So there's no one has ever hacked into a blockchain, right. but here's the problem, right? To hold your your Bitcoin, you uh, there are various exchanges and there you have to have uh, a digital wallet, essentially. There's also a hot or a cold wallet. Let's not go That's there. That's another thing. But yeah. those <laughs> have had some pretty bad hacking situations. Okay. So the blockchain itself hasn't been hacked, but the places where the exchanges of the currencies have been happening, like that moment when when I'm giving you my Bitcoin, I have to take it and then give it to you, right? Mm. That's where there have been 
big, big problems. So the question I have then, and this is what's relevant to civil and Mm -hmm. journalism and the future of media, whatever, is then why is it important? Why is it useful? How does it keep it independent to pass intellectual property, i.e. journalism, songs, whatever it might be, along on a blockchain? Okay, well, here's where we have to get really, really nerdy. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So... It's a combination of game theory and crypto economics. Cool. If your brain hasn't exploded yet, good, stick with me. (laughs) When you combine those, you can create something called a token curated registry. Essentially, it's like a game where you are like, I have 100 tokens. And in Civil's case, you could say, I'm going to stake those tokens on the fact that that newsroom is putting out bullshit. And then other people on the platform can come together, see if they are adhering to the rules of the platform, the ethical civil constitution, essentially, Uh rules for journalism. And if enough people say, you know what, you're right. That other newsroom is full of shit. That newsroom that's on that blockchain that's on, platform. In the, in the platform as well, the so ecosystem. So the 100 tokens are functioning there as power, as voice. Correct. To make a statement. Like, there's exactly. a problem here. Everybody look. Yes. Yeah, okay. And then if enough people agree with you, the idea is that you get your tokens back and share the pot of the people who didn't agree with you. Mm. So the idea being that There are ways when you buy into a crypto economy, right, that you can use the token, not just for the value of it, but to use it to vote on things or to potentially um, do micropayments um, because it's very hard right now if you want to make, you know, let's say you wanted to pay someone a dollar for the article they wrote. That's impossible. Um, I think there are a lot of journalists who would love to get a dollar from all their fans who read their, Sure. uh, you can't really do it. So, you know, some people are like, oh, it's kind of like Patreon. Parts of it are like Patreon, but because there's blockchain involved and because there's, yep, the token curated (laughs) registry, It's a real catchy name. There's all these other added values and benefits built into it. Having said all that, this platform has not launched yet. And what I am telling you is what I have learned is supposed to be coming. And in our podcast, we are documenting in real time whether or not it will come to be, whether or not it works. And I don't as, as of now, it's unclear whether civil will even come into existence. Correct. Okay. At this very moment, we are nearly halfway through the first token sale. So maybe you've heard of ICOs. These are mm-hmm. initial coin offerings. They're, a lot of them are very scammy. There's a lot of regulation, and the SEC really cracks down on them. This is not an ICO, initial coin offering, because they're not, what they're trying to do is, is sell, they're calling it a token sale. And the idea is that if you buy a civil token, you become a sort of member of this collective and you get access to the platform where you can have a voice in helping this journalism ecosystem have a new kind of relationship between the people who read there and the people who make the news. And someone asked this to to you all and you responded to this in, in the show, but for our listeners, like, that is different from being a shareholder in a corporation who can then go bully the CEO. How? Because, well, there are a lot of concerns about, you know, certain people, if you buy a certain number of tokens that you have, you know, as shareholders do, right? Like there's the one, the guy who has 40% of the holding of the company and therefore they have an outsized um, decision on what happens to the company. 
So they have created something called the Civil Foundation. So the foundation is run by Vivian Schiller. She was the CEO of NPR. She okay, was right. at the Times. Yep. She was head of news at Twitter. She's been, she's hardcore. You interview her on that one yeah. show. She's smart and convincing. She's amazing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's a nonprofit. So all the money that people put in will go to the Civil Foundation, and that will make grants to other journalists who can therefore join the platform. Okay. The other thing that Vivian has helped do is write the Civil Constitution, which is the rules by which uh, newsmakers must abide. So the idea is, uh, even if there is someone who has an outsized proportion of tokens, the council is the the deciding factor uh, if things go off the rails. So they're Congress, as it were. To yes, the, or to the Supreme the Court, actually. Yeah, yeah. I would say the court because okay. there's a there's a group of them, right? Like, okay. and they will sit down and they will say, "Here's our constitution. D- does this action abide by the constitution?" Oh, that's right. So this is like direct democracy. Actually, there is no representative body. There's a, as it were, a Supreme Court and Correct. the people. The yeah. council. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, and if you're like, oh my God, this is super complicated. <laughs> I am so with you. It's really complicated. I think of it as like my son got an assignment from his social studies teacher to create a new world. And so they have to think like, is there gravity on this world? Yeah. What's the ground like? Do they have money? Do they speak a language? Are they an agrarian? Like that's almost what we're creating here, a, a right. new kind of place for journalism that exists by different rules, different money, a different way, like all of that. It's a fantastic social experiment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. Like my mind just like gets super excited by all the ideas, whether it will work. I mean, I think it's really important that these experiments happen. Everyone knows we all see the problems. You know, so either we throw up our hands and just kind of get swept away forever on the tide of social media or we try things. I think that's exactly right. And I think it's been interesting to see some of the other journalists reaction to this. And they're like, there's a, you know, I think journalists have a little bit of an Eeyore in them that they're like, it'll never work. Right. You know, and you're like, well, you know what? We don't have a choice right now. So could you please like just be at least psyched that we're looking for a solution? Well, and a lot of them have skin in the game. They're they're somewhere that they don't, they're not ready to do what you did and jump ship, you know? Good Um, point. And they also have FOMO, right? Because what if it does work? And (laughs) then they're like, shit, I should have done that civil thing. I want to slightly shift gears. One, One of the things I like best about your show and that I think is very brave is the the way that you and and Jen are transparent uh, throughout, not only about what is happening, but about how you're feeling about what is happening. Yeah. And there was a really interesting moment where someone wrote in or sent you a voice memo, oh. right? This is a woman that was critiquing you oh. for like being too whatever. Oh, yeah, it was a man? Yeah. No, there was David. The, there was the one, I think it was a woman that was saying, like, you guys are so smart and so strong. Why don't you Oh yes, that's why right. Why don't you speak essentially stop being so girly is what yeah. she was saying. And I understood that <laughs> in the context of like second wave feminism or yeah. whatever, that like one must sound strong and tough and whatever. But yeah. I also think that I just think it's a really interesting and brave choice to make the identity move of just being yourselves. I know, you know, crazy, right? Yeah, right, 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 right. That's an identity move, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just fun. I think about this all the time because, you know, I mean, even I, as a man who says like a lot uh-huh. and is not. Do you cut out your likes from your podcast? Uh, 
only sometimes. Uh-huh. Like, it, like, like if I like say it like a lot. If I say it a hundred times, I'll cut them out. But uh-huh. actually, I quite often make the decision to leave it in, uh-huh. and I have gotten pushback always mm. from older people. Yes, who say I was listening with my daughters, and I think your show is super smart, and I just didn't know what to do because I felt I had to turn it off almost right. because I didn't want them to learn that that's how smart people should sound because yeah. they shouldn't. Yep. And I just think that's really interesting the way that we sort of police one another's, I don't know, seriousness or yeah. professionalism. Or, right. Or, or that um, I'm to be believed because I speak a certain way. Um, I have found that to be one of the most fascinating things that has come out of doing this first season of ZigZag. We have a really, really tight relationship with our listeners. And even people who are like, I love your show. I just wish you would stop swearing. Um and mostly right. men actually saying that. And I'll have another dozen women write and be like, fuck that. You say what you want to <laughs> say. You know, there's a real debate going on about what a woman should sound like or, you know, even these the testimony that happened on Capitol Hill, uh, Kavanaugh testimony. You know, she was an attractive witness. She was believable. Right, right. What What is it about a woman that makes her believable? The tone people use in their voices, the whether how they emote, all of those things. We're we're in this moment in our society where we are parsing them so carefully and trying to understand whether they they make people believable or if or if that makes it an unsure fact more factual it's just we're in a crazy moment i I feel feel like like part of it is because things happen so fast and everyone reacts just out Mm. of like reaction mind you know everyone Mm -hmm. just reacts irritably and just kind of like says stuff you Mm -hmm. know but so we're all in this strange conversation that's happening. We all happening have a place to tell people what we think now. and That's right. For better or worse, you know, in for a lot better of ways. and worse. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both, yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> in any case, yeah, you know, this, the cursing thing is really fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, that, so one of the key moments that people say they liked about season one was a moment, this guy, David, who was like, I wish you would stop cursing. You're, you are smart girls. And uh, I was like, well. Listen, Did he they, say girls, in fact? Or? Makes you, I don't know what yeah, okay, he said. Yeah, okay, all right, okay, all right. Anyway. Uh, right, yeah. so and but I was like, smart, you know, yeah. David, you know, th- thank you for your response. Uh, we're glad you're listening and that you would take the time to write, obviously. But I think, you know, I'm so excited that I can help you hear what smart, intelligent women can also sound like. Because for whatever reason, the women in your life, whom you deem to be uh, smart women, right. uh, don't talk like this. And guess what? Uh, maybe they don't talk like that around you, or maybe the ones who talk like me you don't think are smart, or there's lots of reasons. In any case, you do think I'm smart, and I do talk like this. <laughs> right. Deal with it. The point is, uh, there's a really interesting conversation going on in, in our society right now, and um, I'm so thrilled to be like right there watching it. All I mean, happen. I think I do think authenticity is winning. I think you know, yeah, that's because people are out there just talking like themselves. So, well, I, that's why I like podcasts because I don't, you know, you can't really do that on social media. There's just, you know, there's not enough space, right? And it's got such an announcey quality yes. to it that that everything has to become a referendum on what whoever right. just said, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. So I think this is a great place for us to switch to the second part of the show, which for the listeners is where our 
Crack video team has dug into Big Think's interview archives and chosen a couple of videos that they thought would be interesting conversation starters for Manoush and me. And uh, I haven't seen them, Manoush hasn't seen them, and we'll see what they are. Ah! Ah! Okay. We are freaking out, like little 13-year-olds. We're excited. We should be more serious. Okay. Okay. It's but... not. Yeah, <laughs> Would you please like uh, play yeah. the video? Okay. Let's, we are now playing the video. <laughs> This is Maria Konnikova, who is an amazing writer. And, I love her. And uh, she's also now a poker expert. She's so badass. she's <laughs> so badass. And this is called Poker Skills, Playing Against the Odds is a Rational Way to Win. And we will see how that connects to our lives. Try to just maximize what you can control. So what I always, what I always do, what Eric has always taught me to do, is make sure you're making the right decisions. Um, for the right reasons. And so I might play a hand in a very strange way because I am exploiting someone who I think is being, so because I'm female, one of the things that often happens is people become much more aggressive against me because they think they can get me to fold a lot of hands. And so they'll three bet me, which means raising my opens um, much more often with a lot of weaker hands. Or you know, when I'm in one of the blinds, so I have to be in the hand, they'll raise me much more widely. So they'll, they'll do things like that. And then sometimes I'll have a horrible hand and one that I would never in a million years four bet, but I'm going to four bet. I'm gonna actually re-raise them with garbage because I know what's going on. And sometimes I'll run into a really strong hand, but more often than not, I won't. Um, and so you can, that's what I meant by exploitation. I'm still not going to be able to get away from the chance elements that happen in any hand. So what, um, what Eric is always very careful to tell me is never, you know, I, he doesn't care actually what happens at the end of the hand. He doesn't want to know, you know, if I won or lost. Like at the, once the decision is done, it doesn't matter. Um, and so it, the outcome, you have to divorce yourself from the outcome. You have to say, am I making the right decision? Am I thinking about it the right way at every single step of the hand? Can I defend why I'm doing something, even if I'm doing something really weird that I wouldn't normally do in a spot like this? Do I have a reason for it? And if the answer is yes, and if the reason's a good one, um, then, then I played the hand to the best of my abilities. And it actually sometimes helps when I'm in a tough spot to know that I'm going to be explaining this to someone that I'll be explaining it to Eric or that I'll be explaining it to Phil or to someone, then I, then I know that I actually have to think through my reasons rather than just act um, reflexively, which can be very easy to do. Sometimes you don't, you're like, oh, I always do this here. I'm just gonna do it quickly. But to actually stop and question it um, and then happen what may, it can still be really tough when you make the right decision and then you end up losing. You know, it, it's not pleasant but you have to try not to think about that um, and to remember that you just made the best choice you possibly could given the information that you had available. And sometimes, you know, it's easy to criticize other players when you see them do something really weird. You're like, how, you know, how could you have done that there? Um, but you have to remember that you, you see all of the information, you know what hands other people have uh, because you're watching this on TV they don't see any of that, and they're actually just acting based on the information that they do have. Um, but all of that said, it still really sucks to lose. <laughs> God, I love her. She's, she's amazing. For the listeners, 
Maria Konnikova came out of uh, psychology at, at Columbia. Uh, she studied psychology and then, and I believe her first, maybe her second book was about how to like do decision-making and rational thinking mm -hmm. like Sherlock Holmes. This is in She's the She's also written about scams a lot too. Right, yeah. right. But anyway, this is happening in the context of an experiment she did where I guess Eric, I don't know his last name. I guess he's um, her coach. Uh, is her coach, uh -huh. trained, taught her poker, and she's become a poker champion. She's won so some awesome. crazy number of tens of thousands of dollars. Maybe, maybe in season three, you and Jen can do that and then fund the rest of ZigZag that way. Well, I would argue that playing the civil hand is playing poker, essentially. Uh, so I think it like the stakes are there just the same. Right. And people thought it was really weird that we joined. But with all the information that we had, that the people watching us did not have, right. it was the right decision for us. I um, want to get I want to get really real about something for mm -hmm. a second, which this has come up a lot of times over the course of this podcast and talking to lots of different people from different fields, right? Mm. But the way that we sort of don't talk about, I want to be very clear. I am not, I do not in any way want to minimize the risks that you guys took, mm. but I want to be transparent about also the kind of like social structures that we have in place that might support us as sure. well. Mm -hmm. So like in my case, I'll start by outing myself. I would not be making this show. I have had help from my parents like uh -huh, as uh -huh. well into adulthood yeah. to be able to survive in New York City yeah. on, on a media salary. And have a cool job like y this. Yeah, let's be very clear. Yeah. So like, and that's not something in certain circles, that's definitely not something to be proud of. Sure. And I don't know whether I'm proud of it or not, but it's a reality of mm -hmm. our economy that mm -hmm. A lot of the people that are making really cool things yep. are also part of an ecosystem. I mean, we, we don't even have to get into necessarily white privilege or whatever, yes. but that are supporting them. So what was the kind of context around you guys as you made right. this leap? Um, mm. So for Jen, there was no financial backup. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Like you hear, I think, at that episode where we talked to Roman Mars and he's like, how long can like, how much money do you have saved up? Like, are you going to be okay? Like, if you have to go a year? And she was like, no, I have two months. That was not my, and, you know, also she's divorced. I mean, she two months is, and then she's homeless or she's. Two months and then she has to, like. Go get a job. Figure it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but we did have a grant. So we right. had, so. And I mean, I, the money conversation is always deep and personal. So I apologize if no, this no. goes too too much. Well, but and like, for me, no, I'm really proud. I've worked my ass off yeah, to get yeah. to a point where I could quit my job and have enough money to fund. Uh, like I put in the money at the beginning and- Yeah, Note um, to Self was huge success. It was a big success. And I, I give a lot of talks. Right. Um, like what, how do I, I mean, you know, I take a lot of speaking engagements. I hate it because I'm away from my kids and all, well, sometimes I like it because I'm away from my kids, but, um, <laughs> but also like it really has given me a buffer that I was able to take this risk and be okay. Also, I have a husband who we have health insurance through his right. um, work and he uh, is also a journalist, but in a rel relatively stable place. So yeah, no, all very real, all extremely real. I just think about this a lot about how, you know, we have on the one hand, this kind of like pride in this country of the idea of, you know, raising yourself up by your mm -hmm. bootstraps. But for a lot of people that, and that's amazing when yeah. people manage to do that. Yeah. But for a lot of people, that's a really 
really long distance to sure. go, like almost insurmountable distance to go. Absolutely. And a lot of the folks who are in, again, I, I don't want to harp on it because it's not. No, I it's, think it's it really worth mentioning. It doesn't minimize what you're doing. You're doing but a I think brave we, and you know, Had thing. we had this conversation five years ago, I don't know that we would have thought to even mention it. And so I think that's quite striking to me that there's a, a recognition that people like you and I who come from where it's a gift that we are given to be able to do jobs that we love and hell yes. I mean, I am also proud of the work that I've done here, you know, and I guarantee you there's some listener out there that's going like, oh, trust fund baby, you know, or Mm -hmm, whatever. mm -hmm. But like, I too have worked my ass Mm -hmm. off and I've taken risks. Mm -hmm. And when I started this show, I had never interviewed anyone before. And then like (laughs) within two days, it was like, you know, Brian Green, you know, known physicist or whatever. It was scary. We were talking about risk and there there was risk. I mean, you did you did a big new scary thing and there was a lot of risk for Jen and it's brave. And like I especially when I was hearing that, you know, in that episode there, I think it was it was the guys from Gimlet. Oh, it, Alex Bloomberg and uh, Matt Lieber. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Saying that family, friends. Uh, oh, you can have you three can things. You can have three things out of... Uh, Work, family, or friends. Or no, four. And sleep. And sleep. And and you can only have two of them probably right. for the first year of your business. Right. I think the first five years of your business or something like or that. Or something like that. Yeah. And that's scary. I yeah. mean, the idea of having no sleep for me at this point is not, not something I'm down no. with at all. Yeah, Are you I guys mean, getting sleep? Uh, I have to, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Jen does too. Um, my brain doesn't function otherwise. Either, but, yeah. um, you know, when I had kids, I gave up the friends part. So that was easy. So right now, like, I am I think there's a different way to put that. You don't get rid of those four things. You just do all of them subpar. You just right. do all of them badly. Right, you're spread too thin. <laughs> you're always, like, apologizing to someone, whether it's your partner, your kids because you're running late. Uh, yourself because you feel like you're doing work that isn't the most amazing it could be. There's a lot of like good enough right but now. At the, but then there has to be some level as well on which in order to survive all of that in a, even a vaguely healthy way, you have to be forgiving yourself. You have to be saying, yep. this is what it is. Like yep. I'm in a situation. And I think that comes for me at least with having been a journalist for a very long time and starting to trust that like that I know what I'm doing like that's I can't believe it took me 23 years in the mm. business to suddenly be like no you you got this like it's it's good and you've achieved enough that you don't have to turn in an A plus every time you go somewhere. Right. You, you, an A is okay. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> you that, know? and I think that goes back to what we were saying before. I think that's so important, you know, about about whether one says like too much or whether one is too bubbly or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. This process of like all those outside voices, whether they're your parents or whatever, that tell right. you that like X and Y and Z yes. should be a certain way and you're never, ever going to ever do it appropriately. Right. That are just in everyone, you know, anyone yep. that grew up with any expectations on them. Yes. You know, I, you have to let go of that somehow and you have to find this way to like be just your own funky self, you know. And I found that like when I finally <laughs> gave those things up, that was when I had my most success professionally 
So yeah, you, you talk about how Jen. <laughs> you talk about how, a lot about how Jen like coached you into kind of relaxing your style. Is that right? Yeah, On and the- even before that, like I, when I had kids, I went through a period of not sleeping, like a lot of not sleeping for two years, and uh-huh. I just lost a filter. I don't know what happened. I just started speaking my mind, and that's when like it, the world opened up to me <laughs> instead of being accommodating. And um, yeah. It was a weird. Exp- I was like, wait a minute. I've been. I thought I was doing it right this whole time. And that's when you started saying fuck all yes, the time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, fuck this. Let's fuck move this. on to the next thing. All right, thing. next one. <laughs> this is Derek Thompson, and he writes about media. And this is called "The Science of Music: Why Your Brain Gets Hooked on Hit Songs." One of the questions that I set out to answer in the book is why do we like what we like in music? What makes music catchy? Where do earworms come from? And to answer this really complex question, I started with the simplest possible question, which is what is music? Why does the brain process some sounds as cacophony and other sounds very clearly as song? And to start to answer this question, you have to go to Diana Deutsch. And she is a musicologist at the University of California, San Diego. And Diana uh, was listening to herself talk uh, at her house one evening, and she put a sentence of hers on repeat. And she realized that if you take a bit of speech stream and you take a sliver of it and you start repeating it again, start repeating it again, start repeating it again, start repeating it again, start repeat. Obviously, you can sort of hear it if you're listening that the brain suddenly starts to hear a melody in this repetition and a rhythm and a beat. And it starts to hear that which was formerly just speech as song. And so what she would say, what I would say, is that repetition is the God particle of music. It is the thing that distinguishes the cacophony of the world from that which we cannot help but recognize as music. So that's interesting, but it's not an answer to the fundamental question, which is what makes music catchy? Because if I go into a music studio and I say, start repeating it again, start repeating it again, I'll be laughed out of the studio immediately. So there has to be repetition and variety. What is the scientific way to think about the balance? And to answer that question, you have to fly uh, northeast from San Diego to Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, where David Huron did this famous study involving mice, where he played a note for a mouse, let's call it a B note. And the mouse would turn its head like this. And he'd play B again, and the mouse would turn its head. And he'd play B, 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 and the mouse's head is just, you know, doing this thing. And eventually the mouse habituates. It learns to ignore the stimulus. And habituation is common in culture and life. We learn to ignore things that are too familiar. But if instead, at that very moment, the mouse is about to habituate from the B note, he instead plays a C note, the mouse attends to the C note and is dishabituated from the B note, right? So now he can go back to scaring the mouse with the B note. And it turns out that if you want to scare a mouse for the longest period of time with the fewest number of notes, there's a very specific pattern that you play. And it goes B, B, C, B, C, D note to habituate from both the B and the C note. And as I was reading this study and talking to David, I thought, well, if you take the letter B and you replace it with the word verse, and you take the letter C and you replace it with the word chorus, and you take the letter D and you replace it with the word bridge, you have the following song structure. Verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, which is essentially the most common pop song structure of the 20th century. So what seems so fundamentally interesting to me about this idea is that the same formulaic relationship between repetition and variety that can scare a mouse in a laboratory setting 
also makes us attend to Top 40 Radio and Cars. Ah. Uh, okay, that's really interesting. I love really Derek, too. He's so awesome, too. I'm sorry to, like, fangirl no, over no, no. your He's Maria and Derek. He's extremely, like, uh, compelling and smart. I mean, just looking at him on this video, which our audience can't see, he looks... He looks like he could be a senior at my high school. Totally. Like, I remember the first time I met him, like we were at a dinner and I was like, oh, who's that nice young man? I was like, oh, fuck, that's Derek Thompson. He's a powerhouse, big brain. Right. And he can write. I have a lot of respect for Super him. Super smart guy. Yeah. And I mean, and this is really interesting. Um, and, you know, we have very little time left and I, I, I sort of don't want to connect this back if we can not to zigzag or civil or anything else. I just want to How about talk- we make it a life lesson? Okay. How would, please. Oh, I really felt like, you know, both Derek's clip and Maria's actually are so applicable to just daily life, right? You know, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, brush your teeth. It's so freaking boring. Right. Brush your teeth, take a shower. Brush your teeth, take a shower. Brush your teeth, take a shower. And that's why we want some excitement in our lives, oh, that's right? Interesting. Yeah. And I found that when I was a breaking news producer and there was too much excitement in my life, I was desperate to go back to brush your teeth, take a shower, brush your teeth, take a shower. So for, you know? so for me, like what's happened or what I think is the case is that adulthood has been a matter, figuring out adulting has been a matter of trying to build structures that vary in that, in those kind of ways that he suggests sufficiently right. that life, that you, your life doesn't fall apart. Because I, I, I would say I spent, you know, most of my young adult years creating sort of rigid and radical structures to contain my life and then rebelling against them repeatedly. Like, screw this. I don't want to be getting up at this time and doing this or that. I mean, I think as a parent, too, I'm (laughs) like, this is what we do. We, we, kids like routine. They like routine. They don't want to be surprised, partly because I think they're like new to this big world life thing. And it's, pretty terrifying and so when you give them routine there's a it relaxes you it makes you but if you routinize their life you know too extremely and certainly at a you know my son is 10 now yeah how, how do you mine have, are 11 and 8 11 yeah. and 8 so you know i'm finding that in my 10 almost 11 year old he's starting to push pretty hard against some of the structures yeah. bedtime for example yeah yeah okay so i'm a year ahead of you yeah. and middle school has yeah. been a shock to the system and he really craving his routine. Ah, so I think that that's interesting. interesting. And he was the same way. It was like, oh my God, I've been at the school for seven years. Get me the hell out of here. But now he's like had a, such a shock, so much sensory information Is all it day a new long. school? Brand new school, uh-huh, all so. new kids, really crowded. And he's desperate to come back to brush your teeth, take a shower, <laughs> brush your teeth, take a shower. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I would also add that, uh, I don't know if you heard it, but in ZigZag, we try to explain how blockchain and Bitcoin work with a song. Yes, um, you've got you've got you've got blockchain guy, yes, or singer blockchain guy. guitar man, yes. Yeah. Who actually we we do right exactly. <laughs> it's very catchy <laughs> yeah. because there is a repetitive nature to it, and I think for some people that is the only way they're going to be able to uh, connect with like really far out ideas. Do you know Tom Lehrer? Yeah. So yeah. Tom Lehrer, you know, he was Harvard. He was a math math professor, but he also like wrote songs, yes, and uh-huh. he used to he writes these crazy songs like the entire periodic table. There's antimony, arsenic, yeah, aluminum, yeah, yeah. Selenium, of course, blah, yeah, that's blah, a great blah, blah, song, blah. right? And <laughs> he's a scientist, actually, blockchain guitar man. Oh, okay. There you go. So, do you want to? 
say or plug whatever it is that's happening Um, and yeah and then okay so here's my thing season two of zigzag is coming out on october 11th our theme for the second season is information and trust because it feels like we don't know what to believe these days whether it's the people we work with or the government or the big tech companies we're going to look at how information spreads and how we could maybe begin to believe in it again But if you haven't heard of ZigZag, please listen to the first two episodes. The first is about how Me Too and Cambridge Analytica came together to make these two women do something stupid and financially risky. And the second is about explaining blockchain with a song. And it's it's um, I think uh, we have heard from people that finally they understand blockchain thanks to this song. Yeah, so this was super fun, Jason. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's always fun talking to you. Thanks. We go deep. Yeah, we do. We sure do. And I'm on my way. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way. Taking my time, but I don't know where. Yep, that's it. We're on our way to the end of another episode of Think Again. I've got Paul Simon on the brain because I saw his very last concert ever a couple weeks ago in Corona Park, Queens, near where Paul went to high school. My son was there with me. Man, that was a beautiful experience. Anyway... Come say hi to us on Twitter, Instagram, our private Facebook group, Friends of Think Again, a Big Think podcast. And we will be back next week with something completely different. 